Welcome. <laughs> We're privileged to have you here. We like to say this is God's house. You're God's child, whether you know it or not, so welcome home. You know, we're just uh, the caretakers for a moment. But God wants to speak to you in his word. And um, there's a story in the Bible about Jesus. And, and it kind of defines this moment in our service when we teach. Jesus was walking with his disciples and it was a Sabbath day. Saturday for the Jewish people. And they had strict rules about what they could do and not do on a Sabbath. And as they were walking, his disciples were talking with the Lord. And they were picking grain and popping it in their mouth, having a snack as they walked, which was strictly forbidden. You couldn't do any work on the Sabbath day. And some religious leaders saw that, and they said, what kind of a rabbi are you that you allow your followers to do such a violation of Sabbath day rules? And Jesus asked a question. He said, do you think the Sabbath was made for man, or was man made to keep the Sabbath? You know, are the rules, are, are the expectations, are the uh, teachings of God so that you could be obedient to him and somehow please him? Or has he given these guidelines to be a blessing in your life? Obviously, the question was rhetorical. Jesus knew that all things God had given us, even those things that require obedience, even the Ten Commandments, are given not because he wants to see if we measure up. Jesus Christ died for us. He gave us perfection. There is no measuring up to do. We are completely acceptable to him through forgiveness. Amen? You know, the rules that he gives us, the guidelines that he provides, the encouragement, the instruction, even the discipline is to make our life better, to bless us. God so loved people that he sent his only son, Jesus, into the world. He didn't so love truth. He didn't so love theology that he gave Jesus he gave Jesus to bring us back to him and to bless us while we go there. It's all about attitude. We're talking in this series about contentment. And this is another teaching that God wants you to understand, not because somehow it pleases him that you get it right or that you live this way, but when you live this way, your life will be so blessed, and that pleases him. It also increases your influence in your sphere of influence because other people will say, I want what they have. Despite their difficulties, despite their struggles, there's a contentment. There's a peace that surpasses understanding there. And I want that in my life. And so they're going to draw near to you. And they're going to want to know, how does that work for you? Because I know your struggle. I know your difficulty. You're not spared just because you're a Christian. And that's when they come to discover Jesus. That's the key difference in our life. The whole series on contentment is really interconnected. We're in the third week of the series. The first week was getting right with ambition. You know, the idea that a Christian is not an ambitious person is foreign to the Scripture. Jesus was ambitious. He had a purpose. He had a mission. And he would not be dissuaded. There are a lot of temptations that come to us to try to knock us off our purpose. To try to take us away from the values that God has established that would destroy us. Jesus was able to withstand those. And in that temptation, we learn lessons about having the right focus of ambition. Last week, uh, Pastor Garrett did an incredible thing on dumping materialism. And uh, how materialism can rob you also of contentment. Uh, I was one of those uh, 300 different homes that signed up online and live streamed uh, the service last week. I was actually in Idaho helping my son on a rehabilitation project for his home. And uh, he said, uh, you know, I'm not going to go to church today, Dad. Maybe we could just live stream Pastor Garrett. 
because then you could keep working while you're here and we could make every moment of your presence here profitable. And so I said, okay, so we can do that. And so uh, I listened to Pastor Dion's message and and, uh, it was an incredible message. If you struggle with materialism and what one of us doesn't, if you did not hear that message, you need to go back. He talked about some of us need to downsize, some of us need to put a stake in the ground and say, you know, we have enough. You know, let's invest in things that matter. Let's invest in, in others and in relationships. And when I came back, I didn't get back until Thursday late. Uh, I was in devotions on Friday morning and preaching this week, so I had to give my outline and everything to uh, our assistants. And uh, I was at devotions. I said, Pastor Garrett, I, I said, you missed an opportunity in your message last week. And he goes, well, what was that? And I said, there's a perfect song on the subject of materialism that you didn't share. And that's a song by Chris Jansen. Now, Chris Jansen is a familiar name to those who like country music. Dion is deficient in his understanding of country music. And I know I only have a few more years to kind of make him aware. But uh, this was a song that he could have played because this guy has written a song. It's real popular on, on country stations right now uh, about materialism. And the lyrics go somewhat like this. and Actually like this, but it's not the whole song. Uh, he says, I wish I had a rich uncle that kicked the bucket. And that I was sitting on a pile like Warren Buffett. I know everyone says money can't buy you happiness. But it can buy you a boat (laughs) and a truck to pull it, you know. And that's just so true about materialism, you know. We all say money can't buy us happiness. We all know that. Everybody knows that. Why even preach that to us? We know that. But it can buy me a boat, you know. And maybe that can give me happiness or a truck or a house or a car, you know. And it's just so subtle. It's such a slippery slope. And so that's an important lesson, man. It's one of the key lessons, especially for us. Today we're going to talk about the genius of gratitude Man, I believe that this is, the, this is the heart of a life well lived. If you are grateful, if you see blessings around you, next week come back because we're going to continue with the idea of levering generosity. I mean, the Bible does say it is better to give than to receive. Really? Is that just a church thing? No, that's a life thing. And we're going to talk more about that next week and then the importance of, of living in the moment. You see, Jesus said, you know, the Sabbath was given for man, not man for the Sabbath. God's expectations are given to bless and encourage your life. These are life lessons, and that's what we want to focus on uh, in this time. I saw a commercial last week that spoke to this, and I just wanted to share it with you. It's done by Ikea, you know, the furniture store that's just opened a a big operation uh, in uh, South St. Louis or down on Highway 40 there. And uh, it's actually filmed in Spain, so it's a foreign language to most of us. It's Spanish. Uh, But uh, they ask kids about what they really want for Christmas, and there's an important lesson about contentment in it. I wanted you to see it. Bueno, vamos a escribir la carta a los Reyes Magos. ¿Sabéis ya lo que vais a pedir? Sí, sí. Sí, este año me he portado muy yo bien. Un juego. Una guitarra. Una Wii. Esto, esto, esto y esto. Un unicornio que huele punta con punta. Estas las dejo aquí para mandárselas a los Reyes. Y ahora vais a escribir otra carta. Una carta a vuestros papás. ¿Qué les pediríais a vuestros papás esta Navidad? Eh. Eh. 
¿Algo más? Sí. Vuestras hijas han escrito una carta a los Reyes Magos y esta para vosotros. Queridos papás, quiero que estés más tiempo conmigo, que hagamos más experimentos en casa. Me gustaría que nos hagáis un poco más de caso. Me gustaría que cenarais más con nosotros. Quiero que me hagáis cosquillas. Y que les leamos un cuento. Quiero que estemos un día juntos. No puedo. Quiero jugar, mamá. Que juegues conmigo, vaqueros. Quiere jugar más al fútbol conmigo. <risa> ¿Os sorprende que os pidan esto para Navidad? Pues no, la verdad es que no nos sorprende. A mí no. Tienen demasiados juguetes mm. siempre. El sentimiento de tratar de... Sustituir. Sustituir. Pues llenarles ese pequeño vacío con un juguete que les... Pasar el, todo el tiempo que tenemos al máximo con nuestros hijos. Pensa que tú quieres darles todo lo mejor y lo mejor es, eres tú. Si lo está escribiendo es porque lo necesita, ¿no? Si solo pudieras enviar una de las dos cartas, ¿cuál enviarías? ¿La de los Reyes Magos o la de papá y mamá? Uy, es una pregunta muy difícil. Powerful film, huh? They asked the question, why don't we give our kids what they really want for Christmas? And it was kind of interesting. I, I like in Spain, they have this notion that the three kings, like the three kings uh, uh, that brought gifts to baby Jesus, bring gifts to the kids at Christmas. And so if you'd write a letter to the kid, to the three kings, what would you ask them to give you? I like that kid who said, this, 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 you know, uh, it's just the way it works, you know. And, and then the, this is called the other letter. And they said, okay, I want you to think about a different letter. What would you ask your parents for? at Christmas. Took some thinking. But the kids rose to the occasion and they said we'd ask them to give us more time, more attention, read a story, eat dinner together, spend time, play cowboys, play soccer. And then the most important question maybe in the whole video was, if I could only send one of these letters to the three kings and all the toys that you wanted or to your parents, which letter should I send? So that's a difficult question. To my mama, to my papa, to my parents. You know, why not give the kids what they really want for Christmas and, and give ourselves also the things that satisfy most? Will you pray with me? Gracious Lord, it seems so easy in here. You know, we're in a spiritual moment. Uh, We've been blessed by Christian music that reinforced values that we know to be true. We resonate, our heart resonates when we hear it. Even as we hear this message, we say, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's how I want uh, my life to be lived. And, and then we leave, we go out, and, uh, and the world begins to dictate its terms to us again. Demands are made upon us, and we are barraged, and our children are barraged uh, by advertisement, and and, and by what their friends have and by what our friends have and, 
And none of us are immune, Lord. We're, we are flesh and blood people. We are spiritual, but we are also flesh and blood people. And Lord, we succumb to those temptations. We will fight this fight till the end of our life. But Lord, uh, infuse in us a better understanding and a, and a better resolve to be what you would have us be. Uh, for the reason that you give these teachings, for our benefit, for our influence, and for your glory. We pray in Christ. Amen. We're going to take a look at this story about the ten lepers. It's known to uh, many Christians who've been in the faith for a while, but may be new to you. And we're going to read it from Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 11. You can look in the scripture in your Bible on page 1050, or you can just follow along on the screen. It'll be projected for you to read. Now on his way to Jerusalem. Let me just say that most of the stories that are told us about Jesus are not when he was standing up here like this, preaching in the synagogue. Most of the lessons that Jesus taught were in the streets when he was among the people. In fact, I'll bet you 95% of the stories about Jesus are when he was moving among the people. And what does that tell us? You know, this is, this is not church. This is a place where you are reminded of what you are to be as the church as you move out into your relationships, as you move out into your life. That's where the church is lived. It was true of Jesus. It's true of us. He was on his way to Jerusalem. He was traveling along a road that was a border road between Samaria and Galilee. Now, Samaria was like a foreign culture. Uh, The Samaritans were not Jewish people by history. Uh, They understood some of the Jewish teachings, uh, but Jews and Samaritans had nothing whatsoever to do with each other. And what's interesting about this story as it begins to unfold is that uh, there are ten lepers who cry out for Jesus' help. Now, in that group of ten, there were Samaritans and there were Jewish people. Isn't that interesting? The common denominator of cancer brings people together. You don't care whether you're black or white, whether you're poor or rich, you know, whether you're a southerner or northerner, whether you're Democrat or Republican— you know, it's a common denominator, and it brought these people together. And so it was with leprosy. Leprosy was the cancer of their day. It was an insidious disease that killed people slowly, and it was always terminal. But it didn't only kill people. It also isolated them. Because it was contagious, uh, they had to stand at a distance, and they had to warn other people that they were lepers, and no one else could come to them. And we're going to find in this group of ten that they were both Jewish and Samaritans mixed together. It was the common denominator this disease that they shared and as he was going into a village 10 men who had leprosy they had to live in villages uh, outside of cities they couldn't live in populated areas Uh, they met him on the road and they stood at a distance and they cried out with a loud voice Jesus master have pity on us when he saw them he stopped you know, he's moved by compassion. Doesn't this give you an insight into the heart of God? You know, he's moved by our difficulties. He doesn't say, oh, don't worry about that. That's just temporary. You know, you're going to have eternal life. No, he cares. He cares about your present life as well. So he stopped everything and he shouted to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. Because a priest had to declare them clean before they could move back in society. And so they went according to his promise. Now, there's a lesson here that I'm not going to make later, but it's an important lesson nonetheless, that sometimes when God makes a promise to you, that promise has no effect unless you act on it. He's made all kinds of promises to us. But if we don't believe them and if we don't act on them, those promises might as well not have been made. And, and, and so they acted on this. Go and do this. And so they went. And as they went, as they went, after they listened, they were cleansed. The promise became fulfilled. One of them 
was so moved by what happened when he saw that he was healed, one of them came back and verbally, not caring what other people thought of him, began to praise God. God who made heaven and earth, Lord Almighty, the one who gives me life, in a loud voice. And he threw himself at the feet of Jesus and he thanked him. And he was a foreigner, not even of the Jewish uh, persuasion. Jesus asked, and I don't know if he asked this man or if he asked all the disciples with him, or if it was just a rhetorical question. Were not all ten cleansed? Of course they were. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this outsider, you know, who is moved by this blessing that came into his life? Then he said to him, to this Samaritan, this foreigner, rise and go for your faith. And there's a huge difference between the blessing this man receives and the blessing the other nine receive. Your faith has made you well. There's some takeaways here because this isn't just a story that you need to know about what happened in Jesus' time. This is a story for our time. And there's truth that should be applied in our life. And God wants you to get this. Gratitude is the cornerstone upon which the building called contentment is laid. Gratitude is so, so critical. If you are not grateful for the things that you possess, you will always be pressed, you will always be stressed, you will always be striving to find the thing that will bring you contentment. Like last week's message regarding materialism. If you aren't satisfied with what you have, and and that's not just true of things, that's true in relationships too. I think that's why gangs have such an influence upon young people. You know, they don't feel that they have a sense of community or a sense of family. And so they go looking for that. In fact, our recruiting offices for the military have come to understand this, that, you know, they can have an impact in that group because what they're looking for is, is relationship. What they're looking for is acceptance. What they're looking for is camaraderie. And they will find it in dysfunctional ways or in functional ways if you don't provide it. They will constantly be in search if they are not satisfied, if they are not grateful, if they are not content. It's also true in opportunity. It's also true in job satisfaction. Now, I was talking with somebody after the last service, and, and we've all done different jobs. I, I hauled garbage for a while in college. I loved that job. You know, it was just a fun job to do. You know, I, I laid railroad tracks, you know, for a while, too. Loved that job. You know, I don't care what you're doing or how much money you're making. I'm not suggesting that you should be satisfied with that. You can be ambitious to want more. You can educate yourself to achieve more. But be happy while you're doing it. And be thankful while you're doing it. It frees you. It provides a solid basis. for You say, I don't need anything else. Everything else is just gravy. You know, I'm blessed already. And so I'm freed. I'm not paralyzed by thinking about what I lack. I'm enabled by realizing what I have. A grateful person always feels blessed. Gratitude is so important. A grateful person always feels blessed. We've discovered this in the mission fields. I don't care whether it's in the city or whether it's down in Belize or if it's in Juarez or if it's among the Native Americans where we work or if it's in Cambodia where we do so much work. Uh, Our people who go there and serve there often come back saying, wow, you know, I I, I thought these people were, uh, you know, going to be depressed. I thought we were going out to help some people. They were happy. They had, they had places not as nice as my garage to live, and they were, they were excited, and they were happy every day. 
you know, come away realizing it. Gratitude is more important than possessions. I would say a poor person or a person with a menial job is more happy than a person well-positioned or a person who's wealthy who is not grateful. That's a better life than a person who has much but doesn't appreciate what they have. There's a scripture that says, godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, to know what God wants me to do in this condition of life, whatever that condition is, and I'm content with that, godliness with contentment is the key to a life well lived. For we brought nothing into this world, we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, with these let us be content. Who in here doesn't have food and clothing? Everything else is like icing on the cake and and your cake is piled high with icing, I'm telling you. So what else? Uh, I think when I look at this guy who came back, what you think about Jesus determines his value in your life. What you think about Jesus determines his value in your life. It doesn't determine his value. No, what you think about Jesus doesn't affect his importance. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. There is scripture that says nothing that was made was made without him present. He is eternal. He is part of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has always been. He didn't just come into existence at Christmas. That's why we call it incarnation. Because the Son of God who pre-existed became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, what I think about him, what I believe, doesn't change that. He said to his own disciples, I and the Father are one. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to know the way, if you want to know the truth, if you want to know the key to life, he is that. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So while he came to bring about our salvation through his death on the cross, dying for my sins and giving me his righteousness, he did more than that. He showed me the very nature of God and his interaction with people. You know, and what you believe about him doesn't change all of that about him, but it changes that about him in your eyes. It does determine his value for you. See, that's what's so sad about these nine guys. Then they went away saying, man, wasn't he some doctor? Wasn't he some physician? Wasn't he some healer? I don't know what your trouble is, but sometimes people out of trouble come to Jesus, whether it's an addiction issue, alcohol, drugs, and they come to a, a... a 12-step program and and they get help and if it's just a higher power and they say you know I came to God and he cured me of my addiction then he's just a counselor so much more than that but that's all or if you have marital trouble and 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 you come to a Christian counselor and and your marriage is saved well that's an awesome thing but so much less than what he wants to be for you He's not just a holder of moral standard. He's not just a life coach. He's not just a parental expert. He's not just a business consultant. He's all of those things. You know, there is truth in his word. And even if you take out this idea that he is God and he is your Lord and Savior, you will find help in his counsel because he is the one who made us. He put society in motion. And when we follow his understanding, then we have the key to advance in life. But this other guy came back and said, Jesus, my Savior, if you can do this for me, if you can heal me, what else can you do for me? Open my eyes, Lord, 
to understand who you are and what you want for me. My life is no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I want to glorify you because I know you have my best interest at heart. What a difference between this guy, you know, who tapped into a, a power for the rest of his life versus the nine he said, well, that was a fortunate day. We all got healed. The next point is that we need to contextualize our gratitude. Contextualize our gratitude. You know, the other nine went away and said, now we're as good as everybody else. They are healed and we are healed and we have uh, equal footing. Do you think that man said he's as good as everybody else that came back and was grateful to God for what had happened to him? No, he said, man, I am so blessed. What other people don't know, I know. I know there's a God in heaven that cares for me. I know there's a God in heaven who can help me. The Bible says that not only did he provide salvation, he has provided access to God's throne in heaven. You know, regardless of our sin, regardless of our failures, regardless of our faults, regardless of our addictions and our troubles, because of Jesus, I know that I can call him Father, our Father in heaven, and I can expect a Father's love because of Jesus. The other nine didn't know that. And you've all been through some stuff. You really have. And and, and your experience is different than my experience. But I hope you've learned from your experience. And I hope you just haven't moved on from that and and facing your next issue without realizing that the God who helped you in the past is the God who can help you now. And, And from your own personal encounter and your own personal help that God has provided for you, you should be different today than you were yesterday. We need to contextualize our gratitude, personalize our gratitude. And I'm not just talking about focusing on the good stuff in life. I'm talking also about focusing on the struggle in life because that too is a blessing. I mentioned that I was out in Idaho last week. I was helping my son lay some floors in his house. Uh, this is a picture of what we were doing. And uh, uh, here's, here's what happened to my, my son. Uh, he, he was a pastor, an associate pastor in Texas. And he was down there for a few years. And, and like many of us, he bought his house at the height of the housing market. And then he accepted this position to be the, the senior or lead pastor of a church in Boise, Idaho. Beautiful little city. And he's an outdoorsman. He loves to fish. He loves to hunt. He, was, he could not get to the Northwest fast enough. And so he sold this house in Texas. And, and, and he rehabbed and we, we helped him too. And, but even so, he lost a lot of equity. He got his money back, but he lost a lot of equity, a lot of the value in the house. And so when he got to Boise, his wife had left a salary in Texas. They had both worked in Texas, and he only had a salary going into Boise, so they had to buy a house they could afford, and it wasn't much of a house. It's $120,000, $130,000, something like that, and it was a basic house, you know, 1,100 square feet maybe, and, and then his wife got a really good job. She has a master's degree in special education. She got on as a counselor in the high school where their kids are going to go, and so now they had two incomes. They didn't have much of a house expense because they had bought frugally, And so he says, well, it's time for us to buy a house that would be adequate for our family now. And they began to look at subdivisions like three and four times the cost of their house. And I said, why would you do that? You know, why don't you just add on to this house? You got a nice yard. You're in a great location. You're close to a park. You're close to your church. And so he did. He added on this room in back. Isn't it gorgeous? It's about a 20 by 30 foot room, which in tiling terms is 600 square feet. You know, and and that's what he added on the back. And... uh, 
Now, they're frugal. Did I mention that? And so they lived on the subfloor for like three or four years because they saved money up. They wanted to pay cash for everything. And, and so they built a place for a fireplace, but they didn't build a fireplace right away. When they could afford to, then they built the fireplace. And now I got to the place where they'd saved up enough money that they wanted to put the floor down. And he said, Dad, if you come out and help us, because we know that you know how to do that, we could save $8,000. We'll even buy you a $300 airplane ticket. And so I went out and I came out and the house was full of furniture and the furniture and the shelves were full of books and the pantry was full of uh, food. And I thought, you aren't ready. And he goes, well, that's why you're here. And so the, the, the first day we just moved furniture. We just, we just got, I, I did not come out here to move furniture. I'm 62 years old, man. Ought to be 60 again. You know, and, 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 and so then we ended up with this blank slate, you know, this room. And, and so first of all, we had to clean out the room, and then we had to lay down this Dietra, which is a new underlayment. And you can see our granddaughter, who's 12, is out there helping us. <laughs> and so we had to lay down this Dietra, and then because he's laying these planks that look like hardwood, uh, they're six inches wide, but they're three foot long, and they're kind of tipsy. You had to put all these spaces in to level each board uh, next to each other. It was a big deal. It was a big project. And there were some life lessons to be learned from this, and, and I'm getting to the issue of gratitude here, because these are the life lessons that I took away, and I, I sent an email to him saying, I, you know, these are the things I learned again or reminded of again. And you could add to each one of these in flooring and in life. One thing leads to another in flooring and in life. You know, I, I said, Josh, they wanted a full board in front of the fireplace there on the right. Uh, they wanted a full board to be out there. And I said, well, you know, when we lay the board over here, you're pregnant. The rest of the house is determined. Even down the hallway to your bedrooms will be determined by the first board that you lay. And that's true about life, too. And one thing leads to another. A second lesson. God didn't create, God didn't create people to get work done. He created work to finish people. Everything about God is people-related. And so I said, Josh, I haven't come out here because you have a project that needs to be done. You know, I could have sent you money. That would be easier for me. You know, I'm going to be on my knees for eight days. I could hardly walk. I had knee pads on, and they've rubbed my backs and my legs raw, nearly cut my finger off. It's not, it's not about, you know, getting a work done. It's about finishing people. We were different. I was different, and he was different because we were there. And I just wanted to be grateful. I wanted to be grateful that I had the money that I could fly out there. I wanted to be grateful that he had the money that he could buy this stuff. I wanted to be grateful that he was frugal, and he was trying to find ways to live within his means. I wanted to be grateful that I had health enough, and I had experience enough to be helpful to him. And I wanted to be grateful that I was giving him a lesson and also my grandkids a lesson in providing for yourself. You know, to be grateful in the midst of difficulty. It was all about people. It wasn't so much about a project. You can either laugh or cry at setbacks. Here's one day. Josh is a pastor. And so he got a call one night. And we hadn't cleaned up yet. We were working like 10-hour days. And he got this call and somebody in his congregation had died. And he said, Dad, somebody in my church has died. I said, of course they died. People always die when you're in the middle of something important. You people never call. You don't ask if it's okay for you to die. You just die. And, I, and he says, well, tomorrow I'm going to have to go to the house, you know, and spend some time with them. I said, of course you are. I said, I love laying tile by myself. Just go. And, 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 and so he said, I won't be back until like after lunch. And I said, that's all right. Just bring something with you, would you, when you come back? And, and so while he was gone, I'm by myself. Uh, I, I go to the bathroom, which is the hall bathroom, and I flush the toilet. And, of course, the toilet clogs. And uh, not only did the toilet clog, the tank 
continued to pump water into the bowl. And I'm taking the cup that they used to wash their hair, and I'm dipping the water out of the toilet, throwing it in the bathtub, and then I realize it's still flowing. So I ripped the top off the tank, shoved the plunger down to seal it, and finally stop after the floor is covered with water. And uh, Josh comes back and I said, I dare you to find a plunger in this house. There's not a plunger anywhere. In in fact, your wife would be embarrassed to know where I went to look for a plunger. You know, I'm her father-in-law. And I looked and there is no plunger. He says, yes, there is. I said, where is it? I dare you to find it. And and he says, well, it's in the washroom or it's in the closet. I said, dare you to find one. Get ten bucks if you find one. Couldn't find it anywhere. So he had to go out and get a plunger. I mean, we're in the middle of a big project here. Every moment counts. I got to leave. I had an airplane ticket to come back. And uh, so he leaves and he says, well, you know, I have this hunting dog and it's been in the kennel all day and, and the dog needs to get out. Would you just let him out in the backyard so he can run? Uh, you know, he's an, he's an athletic dog. And I said, fine, uh, go get a plunger. I'll take care of the dog because you need to have that toilet fixed before your boys hit this house this afternoon. And so he goes out, and uh, he comes back, and he says, where's Streak? Where's the dog? And I said, he's in the backyard like you told me. He says, no, he's not. You left the garage door open. So his hunting dog is over pointing out quail in the park, you know, half a mile from his house. So he has to go out and find him. Uh, You know, you can either cry or laugh at setbacks because in life and in flooring, setbacks are going to happen. You have to anticipate adjustments in life and in flooring. You know, the floors aren't perfectly level. You know, a new addition is different height than the existing addition. You have to make adjustments. And if you think this cabinet over here is going to line up perfectly square with this fireplace over here, you've got another thinker coming. And when you, when you lay tile, you're going to discover that. Not everything in your house is true, not even the walls that you thought were straight. Things always take longer than you think in life and in flooring. I can't tell you how proud I was when Joshua's wife would come home at the end of a day and say, is this all you got done? (laughs) Said, sweetheart, things always take a little longer than you might have expected. Kigs and dogs happen. I can tell you stories don't have time. But we did have Halloween in the midst of all that, and the dog did occasionally get into fresh mortar. Uh, Important things require sacrifice, usually proportionate to their importance in life and in flooring. She says, well, how am I supposed to cook dinner? You've pulled the stove out of the kitchen. You've removed the refrigerator. I said, sweetheart, important progress requires sacrifice in life and in flooring. You're going to have to go out to eat tonight. That's just reality. And think about the sacrifice that Jesus made for the importance of our salvation. Important things require sacrifice. And this is the one I wanted to get to. Attitude doesn't determine altitude. It's often said, I don't believe that's true. But it frees a person to achieve and to enjoy while you achieve. You know, just having a right attitude wouldn't have gotten the floors done. Sit there and have positive thoughts all day long. But a grateful heart and the right attitude says, man, we are further today than we were yesterday. And despite how long this takes, you're going to have an awesome floor. And you're going to have a sense of accomplishment when you get this thing done. And it frees you. People who are never satisfied are never happy. And they aren't freed. They're paralyzed by the difficulty of their life. But a grateful person says, I've been privileged to have this challenge. Privileged to have this test. And I'm anxious to engage. 
I want to take you back to a series, and this is just going to wrap it up, a series that we did a, a few months ago called The Genius of Gratitude. And I believe there's a syllogism that applies. There's a gratitude cycle that all of us should learn that comes from the Scripture. And that's that grateful people notice more blessings. That's why I think it's just essential that you teach your children to say thank you. I mean, if your grandparents from a distant state send them a gift, they should get on the phone. They should write a note. Not because grandparents need it or that motivates them to do more, but because your kids need to know that they are blessed and be conscious of the blessing because they will notice more blessing if they become grateful. And because they notice more blessings, they will be more optimistic about life. Like, man, good stuff is happening to me. Let's do this thing. And because they are more optimistic, they attempt more. And because they attempt more, they achieve more. And because they achieve more, they are more grateful. Do you see how that works? It's a cycle. And it's true about life. And it all starts with an attitude of gratitude. This man who was grateful was forever changed because he had noticed that God had done something special for him. He didn't just walk away and say, well, that's over with. No, he was forever changed because he took time to appreciate what God had done for him. Those of us who appreciate what God has done for us on the cross in the empty tomb, and in our personal lives will be so much farther ahead than those around us. We'll be so blessed and others will realize our blessing and they will want to have what we have. And so I get back to that question. Why don't you give your kids and why don't you give yourselves what you need the most this Christmas? God's key to contentment. Let's pray.